So how many people are going to get that song stuck in your head for the rest of the day? You're welcome. So this is what happened to me the first time that I actually heard about this movie and about this song. Uh, I hadn't even seen the movie yet. So, so Gracie and Audrey went to see Moana while David and I, David DeLeon and I went and saw Rogue One because Gracie, as you know, Gracie, Gracie can't see anything with a lot of action or Star Wars because it's too brown is her explanation for some reason. You can ask her about that. But we went, and, uh, we went and saw that. We went and picked them up after they saw Moana. And they're just singing this song, like the whole song. And then we go like, like, what is this all about? I had never even, I don't even know if I've heard about the movie, maybe a commercial or something like that. And they're singing, you're welcome, you're welcome, and singing all the way through the song, explaining the movie. Um, and was like, I need, to, I need to hear this song. So we put it on the phone, plug it into the, uh, into the stereo uh, in the car and kind of listen to it. And it's like, oh, okay, this is... This is, this is really cool. I'm going to preach a sermon on this. This is like a year ago. So I want to preach a, preach a sermon. What are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Let's preach a sermon about a cartoon. But you kind of you kind of see. How many people have seen Moana? If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Now, I'm not dogging the movie, but at the same time, I think it's a perfect illustration of what we're going to talk about today. So is it clear, does, does Maui, which is the rock, the big guy that was flexing and doing the story on his chest, did he sound arrogant? Yes? Like, I would hope you'd say yes, unless you don't know what arrogance is, right? Offensive display of superiority or self-importance. In the middle of the song, he says, there's no need to pray. I'm just going to do what I'm doing. Like, uh, this is what I've done. I did this. You know, if when you see the sun, I did that. When you see the grass, I did that. So he's bragging. He's definitely the definition of this particular uh, thing, which is arrogance. So does Maui sound, sound prideful? Yes? I would think this is kind of sometimes it's synonymous with arrogance, a foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status or accomplishments. For sure. He's bragging about himself. Anybody? Can you think of anybody that may do that in your own family, friends, work, things like that? You recognize that as pridefulness. And does Maui sound narcissistic? Like he loves himself. Like he just everybody look at me. He does sound like that. The definition of narcissism is pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's own attributes. So I would definitely say that this fits the bill with Maui. I understand he's a cartoon character. I understand he's not real. But at the same time, there's a lot of us that act like that. A lot of people in the world that act this way and they want to draw attention to themselves. The Bible clearly speaks against arrogance. I know you've read it all over the Bible. I've heard uh, it's not good to be, you need to be proud of your accomplishments, but not be prideful. So Proverbs 16:5 says, God can't stomach arrogance or pretense. Believe me, he'll put those upstarts in their place. So we know clearly from this scripture and other scriptures that he's just like, I can't, I can't stand arrogance at all. I can't stand pridefulness because of what it does to us and what it does to the people around us. But the Bible also says scriptures like Job 38, 4 through 21. Let me read that for you. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? 
When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by its edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way of the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know where their paths and their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You've lived so many years. So as we watch the cartoon, we watch Maui being arrogant, and we hear scriptures like this. What does it sound like to you? As human beings, we actually hear a similar type of arrogance. Does it sound that way? It's all right to admit it. Because the only reason I'm preaching this is because it sounds that way to me. Because when I first read it or I first hear it, the first defense is like, I don't, like, I don't want to serve a God that's arrogant or prideful or narcissistic. Like, that's, like, that's ridiculous. And that's what non-Christians looking from the outside, they kind of see this and it kind of taints their view of who God is. Like, I, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with that. That sounds like way too many proud, arrogant people in my life. And I don't want a God that's that same way. So I think that it sounds like this to us because of our sin and the sin of others. So we have, this is a filter, by the way. This is an air filter on an intake into like the air quality of, I can't remember what year. It was a relatively new Audi. So can you imagine what kind of air was trying to come in? This is the air that you breathe inside the car. So it's gummed up with, I don't know, leaves, and I don't even know what, how that's possible to get, unless they're going off-roading in this Audi. But this is a, a good picture of what sin does to our filters when we're trying to filter in truth of God from his word or from other people, and we're getting this shared with us. And the sin of others. How many people have been sinned against before? Like, this is everybody, Right. That plus our own sin is what ruins our filters as we're hearing truth from God. We begin to think, uh, think things like, I don't think I'm better than someone else, but I know that they are worse. So a lot of times we're saying, well, I'm not arrogant. I just know that these people are worse than me. This could be within the church, like those people that are at a different service than this, like this is the service. Like that other service, like mm, we're better than them in that. Or I'm better than them because I'm comparing my goodness to somebody else. They've done really bad stuff, so I'm good and God's going to love me because of that. But that, that kind of is just the very beginning of pride. We move on from that to actually thinking, yeah, I am better than some people. We're thinking, I'm personally better than the person that theologically thinks differently than me. I'm personally better because I do all these kind deeds and I do those types of things. And pride starts to take over. That's every single one of us as we're kind of thinking. Uh, we We have a thing called speaker series with Vision Pathways we do every month. This last speaker series we were asked to, hey, can you can you figure out why 
what do you love about yourself? And right when I heard the question, I go, I can't say that. I can't think that. That's arrogant. That's prideful. But I can go, okay, I love the fact that, and, and I, right when I was trying to figure out, I love my skills. I love this. I love the way I do these things. It just sounds arrogant because we're messed up with these filters. We've been tainted by sin of our own lives and other people. So here's some examples of kind of this progression in, uh, in the world. That's either our family, friends, celebrity. Uh, so I suspect you will recognize this person. So this is Kanye West. It was not difficult to find a quote from Kanye West about uh, that kind of shows arrogance. And it's not just him. There's a lot. Everybody has it. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. That sounds arrogant, right? There's lots more quotes where this came from with Kanye West. And you see that across the board with lots of celebrities. Anybody know who this is? Liam Gallagher. He's a lead singer of Oasis. And probably it's like I, nobody knows who he is. This is even gives a, a better point to this particular quote. Lennon was right. And we're bigger than Jesus. We'll be as big as the Beatles, if not bigger. As you guys have noticed, uh, you may have heard Wonderwall is their song from the 1990s. I accidentally said the wrong song, so I'm going to say the right song. I said that in the first service. Um, but this guy is kind of showing his arrogance um, by making a statement like this. Then you have this. This can actually happen within the family. Uh, a kid getting yelled at by their parents and stuff like that. And you can n- name any number of things that you got yelled at as you're a kid. Um, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Or um, I'm the parent because then and that's why I'm just going to tell you I know better than you. And of course, I believe that parents know better than children in a lot of instances. But sometimes we just say that because we have this pat answer we just got to give them. We don't have any real reasoning. We're just angry as far as parents are concerned. Or my parents did that a lot to me. I, can, I brought you into this world was said a lot in the Rhodes household. Um, so you can fill in your quote here. This is, let's say, if you have a spouse a boyfriend, a girlfriend, anybody in a relationship. Who do you think is the bad guy in this? I even kind of gave it away by saying bad guy. But possibly the husband in this particular case. And most likely he thinks he knows it all. He's rolling his eyes and stuff at his wife. But it could also be, because there's also sin in the wife's life or the girlfriend or things like that. There's arrogance just in the battle of I'm right, you're wrong, kind of a back and forth. So whatever your issue is, just fill in the blank there with your arrogant quote. And it can get worse. It kind of progresses uh, from there. And you're thinking, after you kind of read this, you're going, there's no way that it's going to escalate to, to, to this for me. Here are six things God, uh, God hates. And one more that he loathes with a passion. Eyes that are arrogant, this guy's eyes. A tongue that lies hands that murder the innocent, a heart that hatches evil plots, feet that race down a wicked track, a mouth that lies under oath, a a troublemaker in the family. This is the path that pride takes us. That's every single one of us. And we're thinking, okay, I don't go around murdering people, but I can guarantee you that all of us have kind of somebody saying something and you're kind of rolling your eyes at them and thinking, it's like, I'm way better than this. I know better than you. You don't know what you're talking about. So that could be uh, an instance of that. But it's more even like I'm looking down on someone uh, with those eyes. A tongue that lies, guaranteed that all of us have lied and do frequently to cover our tracks. Hands that murder the innocent. Okay, I didn't do that. But sometimes we murder innocents by abusing other people. And even that kind of taints 
and kind of ruins our filters as we're filtering through what God tells us about himself. A heart that hatches evil plots. I know that myself, I've actually thought about, even as a Christian, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of being tempted by sin. I'm planning to sin. I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I find myself, what, what's going on? I've been saved. I don't understand why I'm going down this path. And then we race toward that sin because we think it's exciting. We think it's something that's better than who God is. A mouth that lies under oath and a troublemaker in the family. The troublemaker in the family is kind of divisiveness among your own family or among God's family, being divisive and stirring up that division within the church. So when our sin and, our sin of other, and the sin of others kind of clogs the filters, uh, our filters as we're kind of seeing and hearing things from God's truth, how can we actually have confidence with God? If we're just hearing lies, how can we, how can we actually believe what we're hearing when God says things like we, we read in Job? And he's saying that I'm all-powerful, all-knowing, the things that we're going to discuss and kind of go over, how can we get rid of these filters and clean them up? Over the next three weeks, including this week, so we have this week and two more weeks, we're going to have a series called Confidence in God kind of help us reestablish that truth to clean out the filters of who God is so we can understand who he is really. So when we're worshiping, that we're actually worshiping the one true God and not a cartoon version of God like Maui. So John 8:32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So truth is what's going to clean out our filters. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what this air filter, this intake filter is supposed to look like. God wants to do that today with his truth. So confidence comes from truth, and that truth comes through a couple different ways. Stephen, over the last couple weeks, has pointed out three ways, and I kind of combined experience and doing into one. We learn truth by, uh, through knowledge, by hearing God's word and seeing the truth in Scripture. We also see it and experience it through um, just our experience in life. Uh, and with one another. So we need God's people around us so we can experience because we're forgetful. We need people around us to be able to say, hey, look, God is working in your life. God is this. He's faithful. I know you're hurting. I know you're suffering. This is who God is. Stand on that. So we're kind of going to use that as we go through these truths. So truth number one is God is not arrogant, prideful, or narcissistic. He is not like Maui, even if we're thinking that he is. He is a separate, holy, perfect being that we need to see the truth and get back to who we're actually worshiping. Let's look at the definition real quick again, so see if it matches God. Arrogance, offensive display of superiority or self-importance. Guarantee that even some of us get offended by hearing some of the things that that God says. I know that people outside the church get offended by it, and they're going, how dare God say he's this, that, and the other. But if he is the only God and he is the creator of all things, if he's all these truths we're going to review, that's not arrogance. He doesn't have anyone to compare himself against. Isaiah 45.5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. So God is not looking and going, look at all these other gods that we see in even all the Disney movies. He doesn't go, okay, I am bigger and better than these. He's saying, I am the only one. I'm the one that created everything that you see. When I ask you for worship, I'm not just asking you because I think I'm better than someone else and I'm being arrogant. Pride, review this definition, a foolishly 
in a rationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status, status or accomplishments. If indeed he is the God he says he is, he's not being foolish and he's not being irrational and he's not overstating his accomplishments. So when you're hearing Job, like he's just speaking to Job. Job, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I did this? I'm not trying to throw it in your face. I'm just saying, listen, are you God? No, I'm God. You're not. Not to make you feel bad, but to put, your, put, put everything in perspective. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So these are the things we need to hear and be reminded of, these truths, so that we can know and we can juxtapose it, the real one true God with any cartoon God or fake God or any God of our making that we kind of see and have made up and think that God is. Over the last couple of weeks, Stephen has been talking about God's glory, which is the impact of his presence on our, on our lives and on the world. But for us to glorify God, it's to recognize the fact that he is who he is and recognize the impact of that, uh, of that glory. That's glorifying. It's not this sense of, of someone standing here and say, please drop, drop, please drop your knees. I need this. I need to be fed by this kind of adoration and this worship. He doesn't need that. He wants us to honor him because he is the one true God. And narcissism, pursuit of gratification from vanity or egotistic admiration of one's own attributes. We need to know that God himself is not it is not feeding on that, like I said. He's not a narcissist. He doesn't love himself just for the fact, like, like human beings, I, mean, I love myself and it's all about me. And as we'll see in the scripture that comes up, like we know when we experience as Christians that God died for us, that, that lived for us, that's not narcissism, that's not pride, that's not arrogance, that's the exact opposite of that. This picture here is a picture of the worship service last week. We have some people with with hands up and and worshiping. To a non-Christian, or even to some of us as Christians, that looks weird for us to to be worshiping. That's just one posture of worship. That's not the only way we can worship. We need to worship with our lives. And Romans 12.1 kind of points that out and helps us to see that. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Some uh, translations say this is your spiritual act of worship. This is everything you're doing, sitting here, putting your hands up, singing, not singing. If you're in the worship service and you're not singing, you don't feel like it. You're trying to pray and talk to God. That's worship. You're outside speaking to people and eating the food outside. Worship. Cleaning the bathrooms, cleaning them after your children, doing something at work that you hate. See it all as worship. Everything you do, live as worship to God. Truth number two, God is not heartless. And a lot of times, God is painted as heartless because of what people say and how people act. It's like, it was their fault that this hurricane, it, it, was, it, was, it was this sin, this person's sin, whole group of people's sin's fault that this hurricane happened. We've heard those kind of things on the news, right? Like, it's... These people are so awful. Uh, We're kind of picturing that God is sitting there and and reveling in the fact that people are hurting. Absolutely the opposite. Sometimes we suffer 
because we sin ourselves. We've all experienced those things, right? We did it to ourselves. Sometimes it's other people abusing us and we experience um, that suffering. But also, just because we're in a fallen world, we're going to experience suffering. And during all those types of suffering, even if we did it to ourselves, God is not sitting back and saying, I told you so. He's saying, I love you. I know, I knew you're going to do that. I still love you and I don't love you any less than the time before you did it. So he's saying the whole, that, and that's opposite of everything we experience in this life with friends and family and spouses. That's not who our God is. Our God weeps. Last week we looked at Lazarus. Stephen was preaching about how Jesus wept over not just the death, death of Lazarus, but the fact that what that death did to his friends and did to him. He's actually weeping and understanding this is, I don't like what this is. I don't like people hurting. I don't like death. That's what Jesus, God in man, uh, is saying to us. Luke 19:41 says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He's looking at a whole city and going, I, I, I told you. I'm not, I've told you so, but I told you, and I wish that you could actually uh, accept this truth and weeping over the fact that they're not believing the truth and living according to the truth. Truth number three, God is not your parents, your friends, your spouse, or your church leaders, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend, or a political leader, or the country. That's not God. God is wholly separate. I know that every single one of us have imperfect parents, imperfect friends, imperfect spouses, imperfect church leaders, also me. So I'm going to nail, nail myself in all those things. We're all imperfect, but the problem is the picture that we're painting of God to other people, including ourselves, is arrogant, prideful because of our sin. And, it, and it's ruining people's view of who God is out in the world and ruining it for us and ruining our act of worship. God is perfect. Psalm 18:30. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. None of us are perfect. God is perfect. That's the God that we worship. God is unchanging. Thank you for him being unchanging, that he can promise us and we can believe it. Psalm 102, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. That's like, as we're getting more and more truth built up, we can see more and more reason that we want and actually desire to worship this God. God is all powerful. And I, and I, but as we're kind of going through these, there's not just, oh, I have proof text. This is one scripture. I'm telling that he's powerful and you just got to believe it. Please dig in yourselves. There's scripture all over the place saying these truths. And we need to remind ourselves of this truth. In this instance, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. We see, sometimes we see these posters or cheesy posters with this particular saying on it. And we're just thinking, oh, I can do what I can. Everything I set my mind to. no. When we are doing things, it is not possible to do everything and to accomplish everything. With God empowering us to do these things and with God himself in the power that he has, he can do anything. If we honor him, follow his will, it doesn't mean we get everything that we want, 
but he is the God that is all-powerful. And the fourth truth, and this is most important with our uh, experience with God. God is not waiting for us to get it right, to love us. He's not sitting back and going, okay, I'm going to give you 10 commandments. Just don't do those. I'm going to give you these rules. Just don't do those. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't wear your hair long. Don't wear tattoos. Don't get any piercing. Like whatever any number of things that you can add and say, and, and I will, I would be busted with a lot of those, with the majority of those things I just said. And if that is the case, then I'm bummed. Like I, I, I can't clean myself up. I want Christ to clean, clean me up. And he is doing that through his love for me as he's pursuing me. And it comes to the actual scripture. We've been studying through Romans. And it comes to this scripture in verses 6 through 8, which is a perfect picture of a God that if he is this type of God, it is impossible for him to be narcissistic, prideful, and arrogant. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners, every single one of us, every single one of every human being on this earth. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Like, I'm think, I was thinking in my head, I was preparing this and going, like, who would I die for? I would die for my wife. I'd like, she's, she's nice, she's loving, she's beautiful, I want to die for her. But Christ is dying for the person that cut you off on the road. Christ is dying for the person that abused you. Christ is dying for, like, horrible people. While they were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the type of person, God's not waiting for us to get done. He wants to do it for us. So how do you actually apply these things in your life? How do you apply these truths? We need to glorify and worship and live like God is actually the big deal he is. Not just because, it's not because he needs it, it's because we need it. We need to actually focus on the truth and understand who God is. Live as if every single thing we do is worship. Number two, Share these truths with others as you go throughout your daily life. So what you will not do is I will not share this PowerPoint with you and then you're going to invite your friends over to your house and you're just going to go, let me dump some truths on you. That's not the appropriate way to do that. But in the moment, as you're living life with one another, remind each other, share like, hey, I understand that there are some people out there saying, representing Christ, misrepresenting Christ. This is not our God. I want you to know it does even sound silly. It looks silly if I'm worshiping. But if God is who he says he is, then he deserves my worship. And however weird it looks or weird it sounds, this is what I'm doing in my life and the choice that I made. So share it with others and whatever is appropriate for your relationships. Constantly remind yourself of those truths through God's word. How many people are forgetful? All of us. Like, okay, we look at the people in the Old Testament and we're going, these people are really forgetful. They have the column of fire and things like miracles happening and stuff like that. And the next day they're going sacrificing to idols. We, we look at them because when we get our focus off of us, because we do the exact same thing and we will immediately forget. And we'll go, I would rather worship celebrity, television, movies, whatever the worship is, or worship ourselves. So remind ourselves of the truth through, through his word and remind others of those truths. And get around people that actually will remind you. If you are not in a small group 
and a community of believers that can remind you of God's truth and how much God loves you and how much you love them. That's how, that's how people experience God's love is through people. If you're not in that and reminding each other and encouraging one another, you're missing out. I want to encourage you to actually get into a group like that, a community of authenticity and and mutual forgiveness and understanding uh, so that we, can re- that we can remember who God is and be loved on by one another. Kind of to wrap this up and kind of put a bow on it at the end, what I wanted to do, which is a little bit different than normal at the end of a service, is um, we're going to play a song for you by the Lone Bellow called Take My Love. And for me, the reason that I'm playing this song is because I receive this song. Every single time I hear it, I receive it as a love song from God. Like I'm hearing it like God's speaking to me and saying things uh, like, like, I miss you. I want you to take my love. You count, you, you count your sins and you're shamed by those sins, but I'm looking at you as beautiful. That's what this song says. So I want you to pay attention with, to the words. There's going to be a kind of a video with some lyrics and the song uh, as we go forward. Uh, be listening to that and receive that as the God that's pursuing you, as the God that loves you so much that he died for you, that a God that is not arrogant, prideful, narcissistic, a God that's completely holy and able to love us perfectly, unlike people in our lives. Help us, Lord, help us to actually reflect uh, your your love as we go out uh, into the world. So listen to this. We're going to be taking, uh, going to be passing the offering um, and the offering will be coming by. Um, if you give online and you also do that, instructions are on the screen. But as, you're, as it's going by, please listen and take this as...